Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear Live podcast number 260. Uh, it's a good week. There's uh, two two miles, milestones this week. Uh, we hit 260 episodes, uh, which I never understood that on YouTube. So, you know, I, I, I do it the same way I think every channel does it. Hey, we did 500 episodes. Like, well, what was really stopping you? It's not like you get canceled on YouTube. But... Still, it's still an accomplishment, 260 episodes, but also we hit 330,000, I was going to say 330, 330,000 subscribers this week, um, which is uh, very cool. Um, I'm personally excited about uh, my, uh, my excitement is coming up. It's about four months away, maybe a little sooner. Uh, we'll hit 100 million views on the YouTube channel. Uh, collectively, we've hit 100 million views on all the platforms a while back. We talked about that. But just on YouTube, we'll be hitting 100 million views. Uh, and, um, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that uh, – I don't know what that means, but it, it feels uh, pretty crazy to to think about. Um, anyways, uh, let's talk about some stuff. We got the guitars to talk about, not YouTube. Uh, anyways, uh, what's going on this week? We should probably talk about what early risers came and uh, left questions. Of course, uh, the members uh, left questions, and I have some super chat questions, so we have a lot of information to go. First, I want to thank the the uh, moderators. We have uh, Unfreaking Believable, Amanda Coombs, of course, Michael Nielsen, Grumpy Mike Guitar, and thought i saw one other and if i miss him i will promise i will come back and scoop him up and mention oh ben of course ben coombs and i think that's it i think i think that's it so but i will mention uh any other moderators that pop on oh matt harrison of course there's matt and uh so if you guys see them they have a blue name and a blue check mark i have a little like this not a check mark it's a wrench so i'm trying to hold it this is horrible. There, there's a blue wrench like that. Uh, they're holding the blue wrench, which means they can put you in timeout. <laughs> they can do other things. They also help me facilitate the show, but they could also just put you in timeout. So be nice to them because they're nice to you. All right. What do we have to talk about first? Let's get into some sh- subjects first because there's quite a few and they were right up front. Um. The first one came from Max. Max said, Evening, Phil. Are we living in a effects pedal bubble? I don't know where this is going to go, but I love it. It says, uh, And is it about to burst? Oh, I should have known it was going to be about the collapse of something. Okay, so are we in a pedal bubble? Is it about to burst? With the advent of plugins and modelers uh, that do an equal good job. Uh, That's a great, fantastic question. And uh, obviously, all I can give you is just a random opinion on that. Um, will it burst? I don't think pedals have become about tones and making music. They've been more about becoming collectible. Um, I, 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 was on a, uh, I was on a show, and I want to talk about it because they're not releasing the show out yet, but I'll talk about it next episode. I was on a show this week on another channel, and we talked about this subject a little bit. And one of the things that we talked about was the pre-YouTube uh pedal craze (laughs) okay and i say that because if you think about the pedal craze it's weird some of you don't remember this but the pedal craze as we know it started in the great recession and so did youtube youtube started in 2006 
the so if you think about that time frame, you have the recession and pedals saved a lot of stores in the recession. Uh, my store was no exception to that. You know, people were coming in, they weren't buying an American Strat anymore, they weren't buying the Made in Mexico Strat. They were you know kicking the tires. They're not really buying anything, and. All of a sudden, you had something to sell them, you know, something they could they could justify spending money on, like $150 for this pedal. And this is a big deal because although a $200 pedal doesn't seem like a crazy thing to say nowadays, just not that long ago, $200 was double what the average guitar player would pay for a pedal. And I mean with inflation factored in. You know, a Boss pedal was a premium pedal. So it was an MXR pedal at $100. That was premium. And then all of a sudden, pedals were double that. And... Um, and people were buying them. And the main reason they started buying those pedals is because it fit the need of fulfilling what you were your, your desire to get something new. Um, not just to buy something, of course. You know, there's always that, that factored in. But the desire to have something new to make music with, something to enjoy, something to mess around with. And the pedal craze timed itself perfectly with that recession. And then the YouTube craze timed itself perfectly with pedal, fra- uh, pedal craze. And here's why I I kind of know that happened. One, obviously, I, I financially it's it is something that saved my store at that time uh, from helping move move product. But also, the other thing that kind of happened was all of a sudden guitar players changed. You know, I want you to think back pre two thousand six, and even the younger viewers of this channel will understand what I'm talking about. Um, I want you to think back to what guitar players looked like pre the pedal craze. Um, you know, you'd see a guitar player, they'd have it one guitar, one amp, two guitars, one amp, 10 guitars, two amps. You know, these are all normal things. They could have 20 guitars back in the day, of course, 20 guitars, two amps. And if they had pedals, it was always the same equation. So one guitar, one amp, three or four pedals, uh, you know, two guitars, you know, an amp, five, six pedals, 10 guitars, two amps, 10, 15 pedals. All of a sudden, it's like everybody has like a hundred pedals, <laughs> like a hundred. In fact, uh, you know that's when the wall of pedals. You know, I started putting pedals on my sh- on shelves, and that's why I don't do that anymore. I stopped doing that. I love doing it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, as much as I am a gear freak, I'm a guitar freak, and I started thinking about going. I rather look at the guitars than the pedals, so that's why my wall switched to guitars. I just wanted to stare at my guitars. I was thinking of going. I have guitars in the closet and pedals on the wall. I'll just do it the other way around. <laughs> and plus, also, I should point out, where I live in Arizona, it's so dusty here that uh, if you leave stuff like that out, pedals and stuff out that, uh, you, you will be cleaning them because uh, the, the I mean the components, you have to pull them apart, clean the potentiometer stuff, the dust gets in there, they get scratchy and stuff. So the, the, the pedal boom is more than just a soundscape thing. In other words, so the fact there's a processor out there or a plugin that does the same thing is not the same because there's still a uh, attraction. What is more important and something I've been watching for the last couple years is that, and you tapped, you tapped on this subject. So I want to thank you for that, Max. More important than your insinuation about modelers and plugins in the theory of having, you know, kind of buying that and not needing pedals. Plugins are different because plugins are collectible. Digital collecting is becoming a thing. I have so many friends now that buy digital products. Uh, they'll have tons and tons of pedals and amps and, and plugins and things that they buy and thousands of dollars. I mean, thousands of dollars wrapped up in this, uh, you know, to where it's the first time I ever noticed that. And, uh, 
And uh, where all of a sudden I was like, I never thought of that before. I thought, you know, kind of like me, I bought, you know, Amplitube or I bought, you know, um, a guitar rig, six, because I have both those on one of different computers and I use them. But I don't really like facilitate any kind of other needs out of them. Like I don't go, okay, now I'm going to purchase this pedal or this plugin or this thing. But I have friends that do that and I watch them and they literally have collections of that stuff like you would have a collection of pedals. And some of you I'm sure watching right now are like that. You have these collections of what I call this digital product. And that is different because that does feel the need of finding something different. It's easier. Think about how easy that is. Um, <laughs> Willful Tinkerer says you can't stop on a stomp on a plugin. That's not true. They get you can get pedals. Uh, you know, um, there's pedals that I've demoed on this channel. You put down, you hook up your computer, and they literally assign the the pedals to it. But I understand what you're saying. But but what's interesting is think about this. How many times how many times do guitar players and I know this is to be true because I see the affiliate links. A lot of players are buying gear at night. It, when I wake up in the morning, it tells me everything that was spent on the links over the night, and it's always. Uh, a lot more the, the the pedal the pedal purchases the purchases go up in the afternoon as you guys get off work and, <laughs> and you're at home and you're like I think I need a new turbo <laughs> turbo uh, tube screamer and uh, but the digital landscape's instantaneous you click it and all of a sudden you have it you're there messing with it so I think that is two prong attack now now you have you have modelers and you have profilers and you have uh, plugins and uh, software that are already helping you do stuff that you don't need pedals for but also now you have this digital landscape that acts as the same kind of fulfillment mechanism in other words the mechanism to not only get something new but spend a little money hey spending money is not only good for the economy it's sometimes good for you mentally to do a little something we sometimes we talk about how you shouldn't spend money we do that a lot because that's it's always nice to be conservative with your cash however sometimes you know a little treat a little treat's worth something to you you know you worked hard all week maybe you should buy a pedal maybe that'll make you feel better about whatever crap you dealt with this week but uh and i can tell you right now it's better than some of the alternatives you can spend money on for sure Anyways, I think that's all an interesting conversation, but more importantly, I think it's a continuing conversation that we need to uh, come back out every couple of weeks and talk about because I'm really interested in that. But I don't think the pedal bubble is going to burst because, of, like I said, I still think pedal buyers are crazy and uh, I'm a pedal buyer. We're all crazy. <laughs> and uh, I'll have a beat on it. I always kind of, I always liken this that you are like me and I'm like you. In other words, we're just a bunch of freaks that love guitar and music hanging out on a Friday. So if that's true, if I'm, if I'm right, then the first time I'm not interested in a pedal, it's probably going to be uh, not a good sign. Cause I'll be like, Oh, that means probably everybody else is not interested either. And, uh, and I think we're still interested in some pedals. I just think we're kind of a little burned out as a whole, as a community, with the same old, same old. I'm a little burned out with that. How many versions of something can you give me? Uh, it's got to be. It's got to be above the uh, above and beyond what we've normally seen. Okay. Um, you know what's funny is I got some. I'm going to jump around. I I tend to do this thing on the show where I answer. You know these kind of questions, and I go, and then I always do the 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 early riser questions and the super chats. I'm going to try something new and jump around. I hope you guys are uh, okay with that, since it's going to be a little bit harder for me to track what I'm saying or what I've answered, not answered. But I saw Groovy Music Lessons. That's Scott Grove. If you guys don't know Scott Grove, check out Scott's channel. Of course, uh, a fantastic channel. And uh, I was just actually watching. What was I watching of Scott's last week? 
because he's doing he does series of stuff lately. I kind of like that idea. He's been doing series, of course, of stru- instructional stuff, and then he'll do a series on you know for music, obviously, and then. Um, but also, he's been doing a lot, lot more live shows, which are great for me because I get to like a lot of you just listen when I'm working. So it's easy to have Scott in the background when I'm working on something or standing in front of a pickup winder. I, sp- I spend a lot of time in front of the winder, and uh, the good is it's not very loud, so I can listen to stuff. The bad is. I need something that goes longer, you know, longer than a minute or two because it takes five, six minutes per wind, um, and uh, it helps. He says, his question is, Phil, have you ever done a gig instead of a bass gig? Oh, a guitar gig. Have I done a guitar gig? You know what's funny? I have, but only because of YouTube. Uh, Anything pre-YouTube personality, you know, like now that they can go, hey, we have a YouTuber on the stage, because that's usually where the appeal comes from is that somebody's like, hey, this is a known entity, or the people that are asking me to do it, I've met them through the YouTube, uh, you know, you know, uh, whatever this world. <laughs> um, yeah, then I've done some gu- guitar stuff, but no, it's mostly bass, and I'll fight to play bass every time I can, because it's just where I feel comfortable. Uh, guitar is something that I, I know I can play, you know, strum chords, play stuff behind people, play a few riffs here and there, learn a song, but... Bass is one of those things where if, you, if you've seen any, even in some of the videos of me out there playing bass with other players, um, and I'm sure, Scott, you're kind of the same way because you come from a definitely a big background of gigging and country and rock music, and, and you know as well as I do, a lot of that is you have like the first time you're ever playing with the drummer is tonight or the first time, you know, even if you have a set band, there's a new member in there and it gets a little confusing and you're, you're definitely more uh, equipped to handle those situations than I am. But in my, in my experience with me, I feel like I, I, I need to be very prepared. And if I'm not very prepared, then I'm okay playing bass. Cause I feel like you'd have to, you'd have to play some pretty crazy music for me to start getting nervous. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can, uh, you know, it's like, a uh, there's a saying, right. I could fake it a little bit. I can fake it. I could get through a song or two without anybody know that I'm not exactly dead on to whatever I'm supposed to be playing. I'm in the right key. I'm playing basically the right thing. Um, like I said, fake it till you make it. I can get through that stuff. I've, I've played enough on stage as a bass player with so many different music acts uh, and styles of music, I mean, that I feel comfortable. And uh, that makes it – and the reason why that's important is uh, that makes it fun for me. <laughs> Getting on stage and having fun is everything. Getting on stage stressed out that I'm here going to mess everything up is just not the same experience, but no. So I don't really do a whole lot of guitar stuff. If I do, it's always a revol- revolves around the idea that I already knew the part before I got on stage, but bass, I can go on stage and, you know, like I've, I've done stuff where I was just sitting somewhere and somebody's like, come up on stage and play bass. And I'm like, all right, I can walk you through a couple songs. As long as you guys don't get too crazy with it, I'll hang. So, so, okay, hold on. I'm just reading comments. Uh, Susan says, just smile and, and you think you, and they think you know what you're doing. Oh, of course. Well, you know, that's that's I've said something like that before in the past, too. Uh, it's it's um, it's more important to me that you're having a good time because then everybody's got to have a good time. It's a good time business. No one. So at least for the most part, it is. I say that. And then there's some bands that that's not always the case. Oh, Scott just said, thanks for the answer. Hey, thanks for the question. Um, <laughs> Brass says no death metal gigs, Phil. You know, I started out playing heavier music. You know, that's what I started out doing. Um, 
playing the heavy music. Obviously, because you know you're younger and you play that kind of music. It's not that I don't have a love for it anymore. It's just again, you know, the the sad thing about some music is that it's not really set up so that four strangers can come up on stage and play it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, people always talk about like, I hate, I hate hearing Mustang Sally. Like there's always these songs in bars and you're like, I'm so tired of those songs. But if you, if you, if you're a listener, if you are a band and you're in a band and you play music, you know why it's because you can get four people who have never met literally like, Hey, can you do Mustang Sally? <laughs> like there's just songs that were written and they're just not crazy complicated. And a lot of people know what they are and they're good and they work. So it's not always, you know. Uh, you know, no one, I'm sure there's a better example what I'm going to throw out there, but there's no way four people just walk up stage and go, Hey, you want to do a dream theater song and see how that works out? (laughs) Let's do a rush song complete with solos. It'll be great. It'll be easy. You ever heard of that band? No. Oh, wing it. (laughs) Uh, uh. All right. Uh, Natasha says there's a lot of ageism in local bands. Well, you know what it is. There's a lot of isms, period, in local music. Um, that it's been look. It, it's all kinds of clubs, not literally clubs like you go to clubs, but there's clubs in music musicianship. Um, it's not a pretty thing to talk about, but it's a real thing to talk about. Um, and it, it's been that way forever. And you know, so when you can find a group, good group of musicians. Um, you know, for instance, uh, besides any other problems with local musicians, sometimes the problem is like, you know, better musicians don't like to work with the weaker ones. And, you know, and that's a sad thing, you know what I mean? Because they, they care about how they look on stage. They don't want to be up there. I learned I learned a lot uh, briefly, but I learned a lot from Phil X. I, I know that's like a name drop thing, but there's a video when I jam with Phil X. And the, the importance is not that I got to jam with Phil X. The importance is, is that... He didn't care. You could just tell. Like, I I mean, he was up there and doing his thing. And anybody want to get up and go up that night and play, just went up on stage and played that night. And I think they did it the second night, too. And I was kind of watching him because sometimes, you know, like, you know, kind of like when you play poker with somebody, you watch their face. You're looking for the tell. You know, you can tell when somebody's not enjoying something, but they, you know, kind of fake it through. You know, is that just his personality to look like he's having a good time? And I really believe 100% that he was having a good time that night, even though most of the players were, were good, but most of the players were not of his caliber. And he was working, man. He was working to keep keep everything going. Sometimes things would just fall apart, just like they do in those jam things. And, you know, and so you can tell when somebody's there and it's like, we're just going to have fun together and that's what's going to happen. Or somebody's there and they're out for, you know, other things. So, yeah, it sucks when it happens that way. Um. We'll be right back. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Me, yeah. Me, we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle. We be like, I don't know. We play, we play with this shit. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. I gotta lie. Don't play with it. Take that shit serious. 
I'm just looking at some of you guys' comments. Stupid Fingers says, I think this is, I owe this to say this. I'll read this comment and say this comment that I'm going to say. Stupid Fingers says, Phil X is one of the coolest guy, guitarists out there. What I will tell you about uh, the times I have met Phil X, which is about four or five now times, um, is out of all the things I could ever say about him, the thing I will tell you the most is, is every time I've met him, I, I call it, he's on, right? He's been on. His personality, is, he's just ramped up. He's excited. You know what I mean? He's, he's that personality you see. But the, the biggest thing that I could say is that we all stayed in a hotel together. And every morning, you know, you get up and you have breakfast, uh, not planned. You know what I mean? You just go to the down to the, you know, the breakfast, uh, you know, whatever they call it, the breakfast area in the hotel. And uh, he would be down there. And 7 a.m., Phil X was Phil X. <laughs> not like, man, let me, let me get my coffee and I'll be there. Like, he was like, let's go. Let's get some eggs. <laughs> And I was, I, again, I take, I observe people as much as I like to talk. I like to observe and, and I like to talk a lot. So I observe a lot. So I was watching cause that's what I was looking for. Cause you know, when you meet somebody like that deep down, uh, you, you kind of want it to not all be real because you're like, how does somebody run at that, that speed all the time, you know, and have that energy all the time. So, um, I have a I have a funny story, uh, and I promise I'll get back to focus, but it's a funny story. I've never had a place to tell it in any one of these shows, and I'd like to tell it now. If you guys know who the ch- channel J. Leonard J. is, if you don't, you, you deserve you deserve to go go sign up and you know subscribe to his channel. J. Leonard J. is is one of my favorite guitar players on YouTube. I met him a couple times, and he is another super happy personality. Like that that guy's happy. Okay. And, um, and what I learned about Jay was not only is he one of, like I said, one of my favorite guitar players on YouTube, period, phenomenal talent, just off the charts, talented when it comes to guitar player, super nice, funny, hilarious, actually like stand up comedy, hilarious. And, uh, he can dance. These are all the things I noticed. Like we were at events and he was dancing and playing guitar and then telling jokes and he was just awesome. And this is why the story's funny. I had to sit in a car with him and I forgot. And I, I, I apologize. I don't know who the other two people in the car. I know one was just the driver and I don't, I don't know who remember who else was in the car. There was somebody else. And we were driving for two hours in Europe to go to this other event. And Jay and I were talking and, um, he was telling me something something of course you know that he's great at because he's great at everything not like his you know ego or anything he was just talking and i said and he mentioned just briefly just for one second you know the, the chink in the armor kind of thing right chink and he was like literally he goes like yeah i need to spend time more time with my kids <laughs> right when i get back home and he goes we're gonna go on vacation and i said oh yeah that's important and he goes and he just for a second he let he goes yeah, he goes, uh, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a, a bad father. And I said, man, I wish you were a bad father. And he goes, you wish I was a bad father? And I go, yeah, because at least you'd suck at something, man. And he was laughing. And he's like, he's, he's trying to take in because, you know, I told you guys I'm very sarcastic and it does sometimes doesn't read that way. And he was like, I can't believe you said, I hope you're a bad father. Because that's what I said. I said, I hope you're a bad father. Because... <laughs> <laughs> and uh so anytime we see each other i think he brings up the time i told him i hope he's a bad father because it <laughs> at least he's bad at something i i don't know why i've always wanted to tell that story i've never had a reason to tell it so now i've just told it let's get back to guitar work that's important because it's a guitar channel um i'm gonna go ahead and grab another early, early riser question if you guys don't mind and this one is um 
I have no idea. Conservative, conservative minded Ken. You know what's funny? I, it might be I copied it and then I didn't copy the C because conservative minded Ken would make sense. But anyways, Ken, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Phil, have you ever considered making some of those fret wire tools, fret wire uh, and a strat switch? Oh, caps. I, okay. To check the nut depth, I think there were, would be some interest if you wanted to sell those as sets. So as you guys know, some of you guys may have seen this when I do these deep dive videos and when I do these in-depth reviews so over the last few years, I've been using these tools and some of the tools, whether you realize it or not in the videos are tools you buy at Stumac. Some of the tools are uh, stuff I can you can buy on Amazon and other uh, and less expensive places. That's all strategy, by the way. I don't, I try to stay consistent with some of the tools I'm using, but I also try to show you that you can buy other tools. I don't want you to think like, oh, you have to buy the most expensive this to do these, uh, to, to test your guitars. And then of course you see tools that you've probably never seen before. And of course it's because I've made them because as a lot of guitar techs do, you make certain tools to make your life easier. The answer to your question is I've actually talked to companies. The problem is, is during the last couple of years, COVID, there hasn't been a lot of excitement for companies to build and develop new things. Um, I had a talk with Stu Mac about developing some tools. And of course, they're too busy, like a lot of companies, trying to build their own tools to worry about making something else. So my point is, uh, if you happen to be a machinist or somebody who makes tools, uh, you can always reach out to me. I've been talking to some companies, um, not only to do those tools and a couple others that I do, um, but uh, the the whole idea of the standardized uh channel, the, the, uh, the standardized review plan platform, um, it, that I've been working towards for many years, as you guys know, um, I've been doing videos the same way for many years, but as you notice, like they're becoming more, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, more organized. Obviously the geeky stuff is a point to go, okay, you can either skip this section or, you know, or stick with it. The idea is to give you, you know, reference things, but also not only is it for people to either watch it or skip it, which is why I, I index it and stuff. It's also so that if you want to go back to another video and use it as a reference, you know what I mean? I want you to be able to reference everything. That's why everything I'm doing is in a specific order in a certain way and trying to standardize the test. So it's less opinion and more just like factually what happened. But also what I'd love to do is, yeah, I'd like to monetize and sell some tools to you, not only because it's a good thing to do for the channel, but also um, the idea would be to also uh, give you guys the ability to go, oh, I have the same things he's using in this video. And then when he's testing it, when I get it and I test it, if I don't get a same or different result, you know what I mean? We'll be able to, you'll be able to understand. And that's the idea. So uh, let me know if you guys are out there, any of you out there doing that stuff. Uh, the only thing I will tell you before I get a couple emails from somebody's like, I can build stuff in my garage. Um, from my experience with anything I've done like this in the past on the channel, the first run is going to be like a thousand orders. It's always pretty epic. You guys are crazy. And and just having, like I said, we're going to be coming up on 100 million views. You, The numbers are bigger than little and not huge. So don't think you're going to, you're going to become a millionaire working with the channel. But it, if you think you can make 10 in a week, you'll be a very sad person because the first orders will put you in into a deficit of months of work. Which is why I've been trying to talk to the actual companies. I think it will happen once the supply stuff catches up and, and as things fix themselves, I guess. We'll see. Thank you for the question, though. And then um, uh, I just want to do this because Fast Eddie 3333. 
<laughs> says, your opinion on the best pedal tuner? I love that question. It's super easy. I like the Boss TU2 or TU3. I don't care which one you want or use. The TU3 is fine. I have a TU2. It works. I've never tried the Waza. And it, so that's the one I like. The average, what I'll call that, the average $100 new, $70 used pedal. Go with it. Standard. It's gold. Love it. My favorite pedal tuner is the Peterson. It's freaking amazing. But those two pedals, I would I would recommend those two pedals. Those are the two I recommend. Those are the two I use. So that's an easy question. Um, Kawhi, Kowal, Kowal, Kowal Guitar Live says, what do you think of Solar Guitars? I just got my first one and I'm about to get my fourth Chapman. Um, I have a Solar Guitar. It's the uh, Burnt Orange. Oh, it's behind me. <laughs> I was going to say, I was about to say, it's in the other room and it's kind of in the dark, but if you're looking, I'm pointing behind me. It's right there. Absolutely love it. Great guitar. So uh, I love it. And then Octopus Ears is talking about when we were talking about tools. He said, my dad would design it, but not actually produce it. We have them designed. That, that's the crazy part. I have obviously uh, been, all these tools aren't new. They're all been around for, for me for years. I've been using them for years. So they're all built. We have everything we kind of need. You just need somebody to manufacture. That's the that's the trick. And, and be honest with you, like I said, pre-COVID, I had all the leads to do that. But a lot of companies I used to get work with and get stuff from, they don't even exist anymore. A lot of companies just shut down or changed how, how they would do business. Okay. Let's, uh, hold on a second. I always say when I wait, hold on a second. Okay. Um, uh, this one was from Eric. Eric says guitar stools. So he's talking about guitar stools, obviously. <laughs> He says, hey, Phil, uh, what stool do you use to, to play guitar? I believe you mentioned in a previous video that your store only sold a certain, a certain kind of stool. I like 24-inch stools. So stools, whether you know it or not, whether you get the, uh, you know, the, 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 the guitar stools that you know, are metal or you get a wooden stool, um, they usually get 32 inches, 30 inches, and 24 inches because that's usually the bars, countertops, you know, things like that. I like 24-inch stools. Most players, even uh, you know, shorter players, will be able to put their foot flat on the floor, and that's a big deal because you want to, and they, ha and you want it to have a ring, a ring for you to put your foot on because you want to lift your foot up to support the guitar when you're playing, but also you want to be able to set the foot flat down on the ground. Um, some players will play 30 inch and 32 inch stools. That's fine, especially gigging musicians because they want to sit up a little higher. That makes sense to me. But for practice, a 24 inch stool is ideal. Um, in fact, a chair is 24 inches. Uh, just don't want arms on the chair. So there, there. <laughs> okay. Um, let's stay focused. We're going to do Vimps. Vimps69 says, hey, Phil. Uh, great video on the Epiphone 1959 Les Paul this week. Really appreciate the additional geeky stuff you've been adding. Yeah, thank you. I have the, the section will continue to, not grow because the information's what's different now. Uh, and I love that you guys are paying attention to this stuff, that there's sections. What's different now in the video format is everything's put into categories and sections where before I was covering all this stuff and I was just doing it. I didn't really like have a method. 
I just said, okay, we'll talk about the neck. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about how this feels. We'll talk about what the materials are made of. We'll look at some stuff. We'll do some in-depth. And it didn't really hit me until the last year ago, about a year ago, to say, hey, maybe there should be a formula in which everything is presented. In other words, this information should be strictly considered just the fact specifications. And so you guys know, an interesting thing about that is um, a little, for you super geeks... (laughs) No, it's going to sound stupid to say it this way, but it's true. For you super geeks, I haven't disclosed this in the videos, but I did have a, uh, believe it or not, I see it in the comments, there's questions about it. Um, the difference between the specifications section in my videos now and the geeky section is, the geeky section is my findings and the specification section is the company's published information. Now, there obviously will be, uh, you know, some kind of exception in each section, maybe one, but we're talking about 99% of the time. What, what that means is, is exactly that. So if a company says something, I state it in the specifications of what they say. But if I find it to be different, then I tell you guys in the uh, geeky section. That came up because in the Yamaha video that I did, in one of the parts when I was doing a measurement, I mentioned the me- measurement, but I printed, there's a screenshot of a different measurement and, there, and a couple questions were like, why are those different? Well, I didn't think to tell anybody, but that's what the company, this, the printed thing is what the company stated it was, and my findings are what I said. So now it's just easier. The geeky stuff has nothing to do with what the company says. It's like I don't listen or care about what they say. I also don't read any ad copy uh, in the geeky section. So if they say, you know, like, we developed this technology, I don't mention any of that stuff, that will be presented to you in the specification section. The geeky section will be like, I think this is just this. <laughs> so I just, I, I find that I can just be free in that section to say and do whatever I feel is happening in, the, in, that, in that time. So that's the reason I did that. Um, I don't know if I'll ever put that in the videos that I'm doing it that way, but that's the whole purpose of it. Just like the my thoughts section is, again, all opinion only with no factual basis of any, you know, it'll be like, I think it feels good is not a factual statement. So that's why it goes in the my thoughts section as just a exactly that. It's what I feel. I feel this is a good deal, but I'm in the geeky section. I will actually justify it's either a good deal or not deal with the comparison stuff. But in the, my thoughts, I can give you freely just what I think about. And again, so people can, I put my thoughts at the end so that people can stop watching <laughs> right before I get to my thoughts. They're like, I don't care what he says. <laughs> they can shut it off, which I don't mind as long as you get something from it. Um, Jan says, Hey Phil, I'm having a custom built fender lead style with two Lawler fifties wound P nineties. What would what would your control layout be? Would you do a vo- one volume, one tone with a three-way switch or special switching or electronics? Anything goes. Man, I really hate the answer I'm going to give you, but it's absolutely true. I love P90s, uh, as you guys know. And uh, it's just funny because they're just not predominantly always in the background, but my main guitars that I play a lot are P90s, obviously. My Framus, my, my Gibson. I have a lot of P90 guitars, but um, I like volume vo- or volume tone, three-way switch. That's it. Nothing, no special wacky, nothing. Grumpy Mike Guitar says, in reference to your most recent video on Patreon, which is also on the members side of the channel, YouTube, I know where he's going with this. Do you think carbon fiber necks have any notable effects on sustain? So uh, I got to cue you guys in. There's a video that I, I, as you guys know, patrons and members get early, you know, early access that's like a thing and and they get first version and second version access and it was it's not really a benefit by the way (laughs) 
it's just they I just uh, I just use them to say hey this is where I'm, I'm at with this video and then they give me feedback on it it's it actually helps me so uh, if, it, if you guys find it interesting I'm glad but you guys are really just helping me and I appreciate that but anyways uh, they get obviously that stuff um, but sometimes they get an exclusive video it's very rare but they'll get something that's just not made for the main channel and then in this week's video they got a video that probably won't see the main channel um, which is an interesting video. It's uh, one of those videos that you guys have heard me talk about in the past where I say, I, I'm sorry there was only one video this week or there was no video because I was working all week on a video and I'm not going to release it to the channel. That happens all the time. Uh, just the video doesn't get released for a ton of reasons. This is one of those videos that probably won't get released on the main channel um, because I just don't think it has enough draw. Uh, not like views. I don't care about that. Just interest by the, by the viewers. Um, but... Uh, in this week's uh, video, there was a, it's a carbon fiber instrument. So uh, that's why he's asking the question. So to Mike's question, he wants, me, he wants to know if I think a carbon fiber neck have more notable uh, effect on sustain. Um, well, I really, I've talked about this before with Neil Moser and hit what he said. And I really like what he said that basically the setup, how the guitar setup is going to affect the sustain more than probably anything else. I 100% agree with that. In fact, there's a um, really good video, very old, <laughs> you know, YouTube old. So it's like three years old. <laughs> it's just, here's a very old video by Trey Xavier from Gear Gods uh, that was called like, uh, how to, uh, things to improve your guitar for free right? Uh, definitely a video I would have made if I didn't see he already made something of it. I would have done my own version, but I just feel like after I watched it, it's like, oh, I can't make one now because uh, this was good. And in there, he talked about that. Things you can do to your guitar to make it sound better and play better without spending any money. And of course, raising the action a little bit was a big deal because it added sustain. Um, I think that when it comes to just the effect of guitar sustain, I think that if we just look at one thing if we're th this one thing that's most paramount and then after that, everything else is secondary third, which is that the string does not hit the fret. That's like the biggest thing, right? Think about that. You hit the string and then you want that string moving and you don't want it to stop. That's what sustain is, right? It's just going to continue. And the more it hits things like frets, it's not only going to stop, it's going to slow down, right? So it's just, we call it kissing the frets. It's spinning and just kissing those frets. So, I could argue very simply that if I raise the action a little bit on the guitar and I hit a string, it will sustain longer than lower action. I don't need to test that in a video, by the way, so don't ask me to do a video about that because it's absolutely true and it actually is very, very, it just, it's consistent. It happens no matter what you do. So the better a neck is made, the better the frets are done, the better, the better you can do that. In other words, have that action lower and still have it free from hitting the frets. So a carbon fiber neck, what's nice about that is once you level the frets, it's not going to have, it's not like wood. It's not inconsistent. It's not going to have, uh, you know, ups and downs. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to have a, it's not going to have a crap ton of relief or no relief. I mean, it's just more consistent. So consistency is what we're after, which is why I'm constantly drawn to these guitars that are made of these other materials, because I think that they can make a more consistent guitar. The one thing that they haven't been able to do, and I've reviewed everything from aluminum necks to carbon fiber to hybrid necks. The Parker guitars are a hybrid neck. It's a wood neck with carbon fiber work on it, um, you know, fretboard and, and wrap. Um, there's all kinds of instruments out there made of different materials. The one thing is, the hope I have one day is that they can make a guitar out of a some kind of composite material and make it for less, because that would be the obvious benefit, you know, to me. Paying more for it is just not as exciting. <laughs> so that's one of the downsides. But uh, so to answer your question, Mike, in a very long, boring way that I just did, 
Uh, I don't think carbon fiber itself has an effect on the sustain. I don't think it sustains more better than any other type of material. Um, I, I think that it's a lit- literally just because of the, the way it's constructed and the way it's done, it's done really well, and the execution is really well, and that's what you get. So uh, in my uh, my experience, there was carbon fiber that's more graphite. Like, I, I don't know how this stuff works. I'm not a... I'm not into carbon fiber that well to know, though. But the, the the guitar that I did this week was a carbon fiber weave, where I've had guitars like Moses necks. If you guys remember Moses, they were really hard and dense and not light like this, and they really would sustain. And again, because they were made really well, and you could get the action a little lower and not have to worry about uneven frets or anything. But um, but I didn't like the way it felt because it was cold and it was hard. And uh, it was heavy, and so it hit your hand. Uh, somebody, one of my patrons asked me about that. Did this neck, you know, bruise my hand? Because I've mentioned that. They bruised your hand sometimes. This didn't. It was too light of a material. It's like playing basswood necks. HW2 Hell. <laughs> Highway to Hell. Ah, great. It's like I'm winning the license plate game here. License, Highway to te- Hell. The only thing that makes me laugh about that, man, is your sign-on is Highway to Hell 96792. So it's either your zip code... <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do the old joke. Or there was 96,791 people who took your sign on first. But he said Sustainiac. What's great about this is this. We know how to make a guitar sustain with Sustainiac or pedals or other stuff. But the quest is to do it naturally. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we... I don't know why. It's just cool. It's cool to know that the guitar's... Great on its own. Um, so there you go. Um, Luke, 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 Lucan said, dim tone woods, though. So in other words, the tone woods. Uh, yeah, I, you know, like I said, the tone wood debate of forever. Will forever always be a thing. Uh, the, the great thing, though, is this. What I like about now in the world of tone wood conversations, I feel like everybody's more even killed about it. We're not as extreme as about it. Some people are like, I don't believe it exists. Some people are like, I do. And everybody goes, all right, want to go jam and play guitar and drink a beer? Where before it was a little, it was a little harsh, man. It was getting out there. It was kind of tough. Um, like I said, I stick with my position, which is, I, I, it's not that I believe in it or don't believe it. I just don't think it matters as much. It's not the thing that I think is important. You know, arguing a good EQ pedal is a great argument. I can do a lot with an EQ pedal. Okay, so we have Mark who says, can I safely store my nitro-finished R8? Woo, nice guitar. So the Gibson R8 custom shop, uh, out of the case as long as there is no direct sunlight on it. Don't want to ruin the finish. Okay, so a couple things. Mark, going to have to come to a place with us. Here's the place. You're going to have to be okay with your guitar not being okay. I know I, 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 I need you to do that because here's why. It, nitro finish, there's a reason why we want to get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, I know we make every guitar out of it now again, but there was a reason why we wanted to get rid of it as, as a musicians a long time ago. It's sticky because uh, it, it, it doesn't take heat well. It cracks in the cold. It fades and yellows and turns colors. It thin so it chips easy right there was all these things that everybody hated about so we did polyurethanes polyesters um 
acrylics, you name it. And uh, so here's the thing. You have to kind of embrace, if you're going to go nitro, you're going to have to embrace that you can't stop. And I know that's not where you're going with this. I just want everybody else to know this. You can't stop what's going to happen to it to happen to it. You can minimize it. And I'm sure that's what you're asking me. And I'm, uh, I'm just saying, I just want you to be okay emotionally, mentally with, okay, it's not going to stay perfect, but how do you minimize it? So at, on the on the same page now, hopefully, that uh, Mark and I are on, is that we want to minimize the effect to his guitar's finish. Um, what I would do is exactly that. Keep it, uh, keep it out of the case. Uh, it's fine. Just keep it away from UV light. UV light will... Uh, We'll fade it. <laughs> we'll do all kinds of stuff to it. Um, and by the way, keeping the case isn't safe either. So, you know, um, sometimes uh, just like you can get lacquer burns in a guitar case, even a Gibson one, because it stays in there. And sometimes because it's like the oxygen that gets trapped in there. Sometimes the there's vapors coming off the glues. This stuff sounds crazy, but it's all true. And that stuff corrodes and eats the plastic off the guitar. So leaving it in the case for a long period of time is bad too. Um, the best thing I would tell you to do is this, uh, you know, when you're not going to use it for a period of time, put it in the case, when you're going to use it, pull it out, uh, keep it, keep it away from the sunlight. That's pretty much the biggest thing. UV light, like bright lights, because it doesn't have to be the window, man. It could be your, your actual lights. If you're using really bright lights, um, and that'll all minimize the effects, but also, the best advice I can give you is come to grips with the idea that it's something's going to happen to it. <laughs> and uh, no matter what you do, you won't be able to fight it. It's just because. It's just how it goes. Antique Rocker says, I'm getting ready to wire a Stumac five-way rotary switch in a 2004 PRS Custom 22. First time with anything more than a three-way switch. Any tips? Sure, of course. First tip, take pictures of everything. <coughs> As I cough, I apologize. Usually I'm faster at the mute button if I'm going to cough. Anyways, um, tips. Yes, take pictures of everything. You have a phone, it has a camera. <laughs> take a picture of the befores. Take a picture of, of everything you can because uh, that will help you. <laughs> the second thing I would do is make sure you download the uh, diagram from the website, but also download it, not why you're starting. This is the thing that I... Uh, I don't want to say I have a pet peeve. I don't have a pet peeve. I'm just a cautionary tale. Don't download diagrams when you while your soldering iron's heating up and you're ready to go. Download it first, print it, and take a look at it. Just take a look at it. Exorb it for a second. Make sure you understand what you're looking at, okay? I understand there's a, a compulsion to look at a diagram and go, I don't really understand it, but once I'm in there, I'll figure, I'll make sense of it. But I promise you, uh, no diagram in a guitar uh, that's basic guitar is going to be so con complicated that you can't figure it out. Um, trust me. So uh, I would just download the diagram, uh, print it, and uh, have it ready. Take a look at it, be familiar with it, and then start your process. And then take pictures, like I said, before uh, pictures. The reason why I do that is... Uh, a lot of times I tell you when you take before and after pictures, but mostly before pictures, is so that you have a reference to this stuff. But also keep in mind, if everything goes wrong, you want to be able to just put it back the way it was, if that's the case. Because sometimes it goes wrong, and it's not just you. It's, you know, kind of defective parts, you name it. That's all. And like I said, and have fun. <laughs> I, feel like, I've, I feel like a mom. And have fun. And eat your carrots and celery and drink your Kool-Aid. <laughs> okay. Um... Matthew Perkins, 
What is Matthew says? Afternoon, Phil. No question. All right, fine. Okay, just some money for beer fun. Enjoy your weekend. I still have not had beer in a while. In fact, since the last time somebody super chatted me, I think two weeks ago, somebody said beer fun, and I, I didn't have beer. My wife got me new pint glasses that I love, uh, but I have, I have not been drinking beer. So I will, you know what, Matthew? Uh, you, I'm going to have a beer. I will have a beer this weekend for sure. I will do it. Um, it's time. It's time. Uh, Steven says, hey, Phil, thanks for everything you do. Here's $5 for the tip jar. Also, uh, hello, fellow listener, Tim Pierce, if you're out there today. All right. Say hi to Tim Pierce. Uh, Angst Wolf says, acrylic lacquer fenders were made in the 50s, so why are new vintage acrylic models rare? And why no online arguments? <laughs> Love your show. I, I don't know the answers to those questions. I don't know why there's no, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think I've never, I've never heard why no arguments on the internet. <laughs> it's the first time you, you guys that want to, you could sound clip me saying why no arguments on the internet literally will be like, no one will understand what you're saying. There's an argument for everything on the internet. Everything is an argument on the internet. <laughs> Whether or not there's arguments on the internet or not. Or no arguments will be an argument. Um, but to answer your question, I don't know why. Uh, why are so? Why are new vintage acrylic models rare? I don't know why. I don't know the answer. Stupid fingers says Phil. Just for the tip jar for the gas jar. Okay, I don't make uh, it live very much, but I always listen to the podcast. Keep up the great job. I appreciate that. Okay, let me go over. Let me jump back over to some other screens and other questions. Um, Super Lead 100's question was interesting. It says, hey, Phil, is there a logical reason? I love the word logical reasons. Is there a logical reason? The answer is already known. And I haven't even read the rest. And I already know there's not a logical reason. Okay, in your mind, that a 70s Norland Les Paul with three-piece offset tops command the prices they do when in the 70s they were considered undesirable. Uh, yes, there is a reason. <laughs> and the reason is, I'm laughing because I know what I'm going to say next, and I kind of like, I'm just chuckling. Um, yeah, the reason is, is people collect stuff that's old, whether it's good or not. That's the part that's funny because collectors collect. That's what they do. And they collect mostly off an emotional thing. In fact, it's the unemotional people that screw everything up. They ruin everything. That's the problem with this. Most collecting, it's just by nature, and we'll just stick with, you know, generally speaking, in most, in most generally speaking situations, collecting is a form of just any other kind of not only hobby, but things to do with your time. You know, right? They used to have bird watching is like collecting. They collect the pictures of birds they might take, right? So used to be able to collect bugs, remember? And collect bugs and, and coins and stamps, right? And it was really about doing something and finding things and occupying your time and taking your mind away from school or work or family or global warming or bombs or whatever else that's going on in the world that you daily have to think about. It's how do you get out of that mind uh, besides, uh, you know, obviously drugs and alcohol, <laughs> That's right? How do you do it naturally? And sometimes... Uh, collecting does it you know people buy legos people buy all kinds of things 
And so collectors become like this thing that you can do with your time, and it's mostly a positive thing. That being said, uh, collectors tend to collect emotionally. Real collectors collect emotionally. Uh, They like it, so they want it. They really like it, so they want more of it. They will want to refine it. They want their collection to be... It's it, Refining your collection is a thing. That's why guitar players are constantly talking about resale value. It's not that they want to... Not every guitar player is trying to flip guitars and just flip guitars and flip guitars. Some guitar players are, are like... They have this in their mind, this ultimate collection of guitars in their mind, and they're just kind of churning and discovering themselves and figuring things out. And that's what they do. And when I was earlier making the comment about the, the ones that ruin it, the ones that are collectors that ruin it are the ones that figure out the money angle only. You know, hey, if I buy this, it goes up in value. And when I sell it, it makes money. And because somebody will emotionally purchase without any logic. <laughs> and that's what they're preying on. They're preying on us. I'm just as guilty as everyone <laughs> buying stuff that does makes no sense, right? Other than I just emotionally am connected to it. So the the point of this is why does why do people collect Norlin era Les Pauls with multiple piece bodies when they were considered junk? Same reason people buy 70s era strats with three bolts uh, necks that were at the time no one wanted them. You can give them away. Uh, people now collect all kinds of things. Uh, essentially, the sad thing and the consistent thing that I've learned in this industry, and I'm sure it's true in every industry, but I only know this industry, is uh, if they stop making anything, everybody just wants it all of a sudden. Like, there's all kinds of things that nobody wanted until you couldn't get it. (laughs) They just stopped making it, and all of a sudden, people buy it. Um, I just recently discovered this. I'm working on a video, and uh, this just was kind of a funny thing happened. There's a video I'm working on. You'll see soon, as soon as I get it worked out. And uh, a company reached out and asked me if I was interested in doing a video about a product. And this is the interesting part. Uh, It's not just a, you know, review. It's a, not a demo, but it's kind of like the videos I do sometimes where I'm like, you know, how does this work and why would you, how would you use it? Cause it's not just about, do you want it? Here's a review of it. It's how do you even use it? And I thought it'd be interesting to take an old piece of gear and use it with this new piece of gear and kind of show its relevance. And, uh, I pitched it to them. They took the idea and then I go, oh, okay, now I got to buy this old piece of gear. And I went online and I, n- not inflation, not the guitar boom. All of a sudden, this thing that was $100 all day long is three, dollars $400. And I'm like, why did it go up so much? Did something happen? And I looked, and the company stopped making it in the last four months. And I'm like, right. So as soon as they start making it, price shoots up. Because again, all of a sudden, everybody's got to have it because they can't have it. So that's why they collect that stuff. Uh, I see it all the time. There's, I, I told you, I, my favorite thing is over the years working on guitars, I can tell you over time, People bring stuff in and they go, and I'll, I'll laugh. They'll go, uh, laugh because of the change, not at them. They'll, they'll say, oh yeah, here's a junk guitar. It was my dad's. It's a junk. Uh, if you can fix it for 20 bucks, I'll do it. And I'm like, all right. And then you do it and they get it back. And then you get those every once in a while. And every time you see one, you kind of dread it and you're like, oh, they just want me to fix up the junk guitar. So they're going to want me to work cheap. And then one day they come in and they go, I searched the entire world for one of these. And I finally got it for $2,000. And you're like, what? These things are worth 30 bucks. And then you look online and you're like, what the hell happened? Because again, something happens. Maybe a famous musician used it. That happens. Um, um, it's just how it works. Lisa H says, will Gen Z collect? They don't have that much stuff except a really nice phone. They will collect. Uh, everyone will do something with their time. First of all, let's, let's, let's not 
let's not confuse the issue. <laughs> Here is the issue that has stead the stayed stead the test of time, stayed the test of time, stayed the test of time. Here's what it is. When you're young, you do stuff. <laughs> There's exceptions, but when you're young, you do stuff. You're usually broke and you do stuff. Sometimes you're not broke. Good for you. Most young people, broke, but do stuff. When you're older, you don't do stuff, tend not to be as broke. So you buy crap. That's what you do. You buy and collect things and do things uh, and try to live childhood moments and other kind of moments in your life or try, you know, it's not always just some kind of psychosis of like, I got to relive my childhood, but there is a little bit to that. Um, and no, so there is that. So the idea is, is that the argument is your argument, not your argument. I'm not saying you're arguing your statement, which is interesting is that well, young people, they don't, they're not, they're not wired the same, so they won't do the same. Well, when I was 18, I didn't collect anything. <laughs> I didn't collect anything. And I sure as hell didn't try to figure out how to decompress. I don't know what the, I didn't know what the word decompress meant until I was at a job paying a mortgage. <laughs> like I remember my parents saying I couldn't sleep last night. And I remember thinking that's weird. And I would just pass out on the floor, right? You just pass out like my kids. Now that's what they do this pass out. You come downstairs and they were just ones asleep on the couch because they fell asleep on the couch. To me, sleeping is like a process. Now you have to do it. I understand. I'm not speaking for everybody, but for me, sleeping is a process and staying asleep is a process. <laughs> so it's almost as hard to stay asleep as it is to go to sleep. So uh, again, that's why, you know, as people as they change as get older. And again, I'm not talking about old versus young. It's just older. Like, right? Things things happen. I actually I actually have a theory that the youth, the, the the Gen Zs, they might be the most stressed generation we ever see. Look, man, my kids are basically, you know, my, my daughter's like Gen Z. My son's technically a millennial. Um, so I think he's like in that weird cutoff thing or whatever happens. But my point is, is this, man, the stuff they have to deal with, uh, and, and it's crazy, the amount of stress. So they might, they might be the biggest collectors and do it, you know, right. They might do stuff way more than us because of that, that reason they might have to figure out how they're going to decompress. Surf by surfy by says good sleep is important to health. Yes, I agree. I saw, I read a, I read a thing. I don't want to get out too honest. I, I read a thing that people who sleep more live longer and healthier. And I honestly believe that. Okay. <laughs> you guys, we just went down the weirdest, the weirdest thing. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, right. Anyways. Okay. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I got to look. Okay. CDN, CDN Punk, CD Punk, I, CDN Punk says, hello, Phil. Uh, I, I have been having trouble intonating my guitar, tuning, tuning needle jumps it's been unpredictable. Any advice? Sure. You're saying tune needle needle. That's already making me nervous. Uh, so I don't know how accurate your tuner is. You have to understand one of the things about intonating is that, um, is that you're, you're, there's a couple things in play more than just the tuner, right? You have your tuning keys. For instance, if they're not really good ratio tuning keys, when they, they'll jump. 
So I would say a good tuner is important to intonation, but you could say tuning into it because it's digital and you could be talking about it just a clip on tuner. Um, I don't really have any tips for that specifically other than, like I said, make sure that you have a good tuner because that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, and I can tell you right now, if you don't have a good tuner, the app on the phone, the, the boss app is not something I would highly recommend, but it, I have intonated a guitar on the fly with it and it worked. So, so you need a tuner as good as that. Why not maple? Sure. Why not? Uh, it says, Hey Phil, I have you ever noticed, uh, no one super chats, negative troll comments. I guess it shows their worth. What was the, the guy who wrote, uh, Game of Thrones. I don't know the name. The guy that wrote this, the the Game of Thrones thing uh, story it was an interview, and I loved it. He was saying they asked him about fans and all this stuff, and he was saying that when he used to write books, uh, fans would send him letters, and you know they were always like, "This is great. I love what you're doing. You know, right? The characters are amazing. You're such a good author." And then the advent of computers came, and then all of a sudden he would get emails, and the emails were like. Uh, mostly positive. They were like, hey, I really like what you're doing. It's really great. But every once in a while you get somebody like, hey, I wish you would have not killed off this character. I wish you wouldn't have done this. And he goes, and then the social media thing came and it was all, you're ruining this. This is horrible. Why did you do this? This your show sucks. This movie sucks. This uh, book sucks, whatever. And he said the takeaway from that was that the price of a stamp filters out all the assholes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm paraphrasing what he quoted, but that's pretty much the the, the just of it. Uh, so yeah, I would imagine it works here as well. <laughs> I would imagine, for the most part. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, pedal, pedal ly. I gotta say that. You know what, pedal ly. If you super chat me, uh, when you super chat me, could you re- please remind me the way I say it? I think it's pedal because I want to say pedal lie, ly lie, pedally. Pedally? Pedal L-Y dot L-Y. Okay. Um, hold on. I told you I'd be jumping around because I would keep, I have to figure it out. At 10 says, hey, Phil, have you ever played an eight or seven string guitar? I feel like it would appeal to the bassist in you. So for a short period of my life, short being like four years, I only played seven string guitars. I went through a whole phase. Like, so I was only playing bass. Like, I've told you this story before. I was playing guitar, switched to bass. Then for a while, didn't even own a guitar. I was only bass. Then I started getting guitars back in. And then I discovered a seven string. And I was like, okay, this makes more sense to me than a guitar. Because I just like having the low B there. And uh, so I'd play seven string guitars. And I did that all the time. And uh, uh, loved them. I never really took to the eight string guitar. I never felt the need to have one even lower. Just the neck's a little wider now. Just a little more chaotic. Um, And... Uh, I think it's because to me, the seven string was a natural progression from six. It's kind of like to me, the four string bass and the five string bass. A five string bass is just a four string bass with the extra low string. As stupid as that sounds to say aloud, it's absolutely good advice. So, you know, you look at a five string bass and just see the four strings and that's it. <clears throat> there, it's a four string with an added string. A seven string guitar is just your six string with an added string. You don't have to look at it. It's not that chaotic. Just pay attention. What, you know, play what you play. In fact, my best advice, I did a video on this early on. 
Uh, my best advice for starting on a seven string, if you get a seven string, the first thing everyone does, in my opinion, that's wrong is they try to play something on the seven string. And my first uh, advice is immediately play things that you play on the six string. Play it like a six string. Don't worry about that string. Same advice with a five string bass. Play your four strings on your five string bass. Get a feel for that. Then worry about adding in the fifth string. Um, so that's just it. Um, but the eight string just became a little too chaotic for me. It's the spacing gets too narrow. Everything gets a little too tricky. And then over time, I just phase back out of seven strings, mostly because unfortunately or fortunately, how you want to, how do you want to look at it? A lot of my choices now in the last few years have been, uh, been guided by YouTube. You know what I mean? Things I would like, uh, somebody asked earlier about, uh, you know, doing, uh, tuning down. I forgot the, I didn't see the, the person, but I saw the question and it was, you know, they know that guitar players tune their strats to E flat, you know, half step down, you know, can you do it to Les Paul? Absolutely. Just make sure you want to have, you know, 10 or 11 gauge strings, but absolutely no problem. Um, but f- uh, until YouTube, I always tuned half step down or one step down, full step to D, D to D. So, but mostly half step down. Why? I don't know. It's like the way it sounds. Uh, and when I would play with other musicians, they would just, you know, we would just tune half step down. And then what happened was, uh, what happened was, um, is that uh, uh, I do, I'd play a half step down on YouTube and then the comments would be like, hey man, you need to tune your guitar to standard, right? And so I tuned it to standard. Same thing with seven string guitars. If I played a seven, I know everybody would be like, oh, that's great. That's a great amp fill. I wish I would have known what it sounded like with a six string. <laughs> so you tend to, I tend to do a lot of things because of my YouTube gig. It's just how it goes. Uh, nothing wrong with that. I don't have any bitterness. I actually, like I said, I'm, I think it's a blessing to have the YouTube gig. It's how I, how I get to interact with guitar players without this. I wouldn't even talk to guitar players and that would actually suck. Uh, Zubin says Zubin, (laughs) he gave me the phonetics on it. Thank you. Zubin Zubin says you once mentioned to marry your SO if she buys you. Okay. So I'm thinks, uh, significant other, I think SO is significant other. You once mentioned you should marry your significant other if she buys you gear. Mine got me a Captain Kirk SG. Uh, I hope I'm reading this all right. Uh, and we just got married on Sunday. Hi, Veronica. Oh, okay. So obviously her name's Veronica. Otherwise, this is the weirdest shout out you ever did. And I got divorced on Tuesday after I shouted out my girlfriend's name. So... <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. Subin, congratulations on getting married to you and Veronica. And uh, that's congratulations on getting your new SG. And uh, yes, I, I, I've said that before. If, uh, if your spouse buys you a guitar or some kind of significant piece of gear, you should marry them because they're not going to complain about it when you do it. So yes, have a happy marriage and uh, enjoy your next guitar that she's already authorized, pre-authorized. Whether she knows it or not, she has pre-authorized that. So... There you go, Veronica. (laughs) I have been married for 24 years. So uh, uh, what I can tell you is is that uh, he's going to buy a lot of guitars. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. I'm jumping around a little bit. Ryan says, hey, Phil, do you think Fender Mod Shop will ever branch to Canada for shipping? I didn't know they didn't. 
that doesn't even make any sense. Why can't they ship a guitar to Canada? Should I hold out or order my left Lefty Dream guitar to a third-party address? Yeah. Um, yes. Why not? I mean, if you have a friend you trust. I mean, come on. I mean, I, mean, I don't know your circumstances. Uh, I would imagine if that's the issue, if you have a, a relative or a, a friend that you really trust, you know what I mean, really trust because it's an expensive guitar, they can sh- you know, order it and have it shipped in the U.S. and then they can ship it to you. Why not? Or it justifies coming down for a trip, right? Obviously, like most people, you probably haven't been traveling too much for the last two years, so maybe it's time to go down. They won't let you pick it up, but um, what I can tell you, Ryan, is there's probably even a way to do this without even asking a friend uh, for it third party. So, um, you know, it's funny was uh, a little tip um, is that uh, you used to get P.O. boxes. You can still get P.O. Bo- PO boxes, obviously. But what happens is some P.O. boxes, if you go to like certain stores like UPS store and stuff, they will give you a physical address instead of a P.O. box. It's a P.O. box, but it has a physical address because some companies have hangups about P.O. boxes. This is important um, because you can, a lot of times you can buy a physical address in the United States uh, through a P.O. box system. I mean, you'll have to pay for it for a few months, but I mean, you know, relatively speaking, it's not expensive if you're looking at a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollar guitar. So you could order, call a company up in maybe California, UPS store, maybe even call them and talk to them about this. Maybe they'll let you, I, again, I'm just giving you a, a, a circumstance that might happen. You may be able to open up a P.O. box, which will be a physical address. When you order the guitar, you can have the guitar shipped there and then you can pay them to ship it to you once they get it. That's how you do that. I, I, um, I learned that years and years ago, the difference, the reason, the main difference between PO boxes and, and physical dresses. Um, when I opened the store, the store was being built out and I had this problem, which was, uh, I wanted to buy stuff to load in the store. And every, when I talked to the manufacturers, they were like, well, we can't ship you anything until you have the store. So I went down to a UPS store and I bought a physical address and then because at the UPS store, you can name the physical address, whatever you want, because you're paying for it. Um, I named the physical address, the, the guitar company, you know, the guitar company, the, our store, McKnight. And so I would give that to the manufacturers and they would ship these giant, like 10 pallets of guitars to the UPS store. You can imagine how happy they were with me. They, trust me, you get a call. <laughs> they call you, your phone rings like, you have a shipment. You need to come get and bring a truck because they couldn't even load it in the, in the physical shop because it's too small. And um, that's how I got them to ship stuff. And then we would take it and we'd take it to, uh, to storage. And then when the shop opened, that's how we had inventory the first day. So that's how we did that. So I would imagine you could do it some way of that way. I would imagine. Where there's a will, there's a way. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Um, I was scared to death uh, to not have inventory in the store when I opened. I wanted to open and hit the ground running when I opened the store, especially since the way if you haven't well, if you haven't opened a store if you open a store usually the way it works out like the way I did it was you get three months without rent for your build out and so our mission was to do the build out as fast as possible. We actually nailed it like a month and a two weeks or a month and a week, and so that way we could operate the business for a month and a half. Uh, without paying rent, you start, you know what I mean? you didn't want to open the door and be like, this is the store. And when we get stuff, it's going to be cool. We, we open the first day with inventory. Uh, syndicate says, Hey, Phil, would you recommend the new Yamaha Revstar over a PRS SE custom 24? They are much different guitars, but I would, I would recommend the Revstar over that. I really like the Revstar. 
It's a really cool guitar. To me, what's different about it is it's very unique. Uh, they did a really good job revamping the line into something that's interesting. Um, I feel like, and this is the strangest thing to say, not any stranger than anything else I probably said, but this is the strangest thing to say. I feel like of all the guitars, I'm looking at the Revstar right now, of all the guitars that are in that price point, uh, price point, the $700 range, like the SEs and stuff and, and LTDs and all this stuff, I feel like the Revstar, the one thing that they achieved with this model is that it feels like it's not, even though they make a $2,000 main Japan version, I don't feel like it's the less expensive version of anything. I know some people mentioned in the comments that they like to have the main Japan one, but I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I, I don't know why I would want anything more than that. It's a very cool guitar for for what it is. I feel like it's not a cheaper version of something. It just has a place, uh, you know, with all the other guitars, even if those guitars are more expensive. You know, I've talked about this before with amps. That's the one thing the 5150 did with PV, right? It was the, not the first, but it's one of those amps that when you see, you know, diesels and Bogners and all these high-end Saldanos and in a studio and you see a 5150 sitting there, a PV one, you never go, oh, that's weird. You go, oh, that makes sense. And to me, that's what the Revstar does. The Revstar, if I was to take the Revstar, put it next to my Paul Reesmith Core, the GNL Main USA, you know what I mean? A Finistrata, an actual Gibson Les Paul, put it in that, you know, on a, on a rack and put it there. You wouldn't think like, oh, that's his cheap guitar. You just think like, that's just a different, you know, he has a different sound. Uh, and, and so, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't obviously, cause I didn't buy the Revstar. They sent it to me, um, and they let me keep it. But if I could have had a P90 version, I would have got the P90 version. <laughs> I just, I didn't have that option. So, um, I thought about selling this one and buying the P90 version might do it. You know what I mean? I might. So, um, I saw Amanda say something. Hold on, Amanda. So Amanda's responding to me. says, Phil flips back and forth from chats to super chats. I assume you're answering. Somebody's asked the question, what does he mean? I get that a lot when people bump into me. What what do I, um? What, what when I say changing screens? So yeah, and so maybe, so you, the moderators even know. I have three screens I change between. So so you guys know when somebody super chats me, um, it's archived into my YouTube channel. So it's forever. I ha Well, two years. I'm sorry. Now, it used to be forever. Now it's two years. So every super chat anyone's ever done for me, I have in chronological order for the last two years. So I don't have to look at the ones you see where it comes up in a, in a color and stuff, right? And that's why they do colors because they want me to, you know, they want YouTubers to jump on the biggest ones. So the $20 ones are brighter orange and $5 are green. Um, I don't look at that. Um, I actually have them archived. So I'm looking at your actual comments and then I jump over to the super chats to pull from because I know they're safe and I know where they're at. Now, unlike these comments where it starts moving and sometimes I lose them. But also what I also have so you guys see here, I'll share with you is, uh, so you're looking at what I see. This is my other thing. This is just a, a notepad and you can see where I've copied and pasted some of your guys' questions. So while I'm talking and paying attention to the super chats and paying attention to your comments, I'm also anything I see when I'm talking, I'll copy it and I'm pasting it into my notepad so I can come back to it in a second later. That's why a lot of times when I'm talking to you guys, I'll say, oh, here's another question I thought was interesting earlier. So I'm just copying anything I find interesting. I'm trying to grab as many comments every week as possible that I think are interesting um, or, you know what I mean? That's, you know, and it, so that's what it is. <laughs> so that's what I mean by screen. So there's three screens I jump between. Your screen you see, my Super Chat archive, and this, uh, and this pad that I have. Um, 
So there you go. Um, okay. <laughs> and I say all that and then I just go quiet. <laughs> All right. Let me. Plus, what's nice about super chats, they keep the momentum going because anytime I can't find something for a second, I can jump over to that screen like I'm about to right now because I know those are most likely going to be some kind of subject or question um, where sometimes you guys are bantering back and forth to yourselves. Um, this one's from Steven who says, Hey, Phil, my dad has become a pretty reliable guitar tech. Uh, for our family band, thanks to all your videos. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for the compliment. says, we haven't had to visit a repair shop in the last two years of gigging. This donation is the least we could do. Man, thank you so much. I, you know what? Bigger than the donation is that kind of statement. Um, I love that stuff. You know, it's it's uh, it makes you feel good because it's not something you ever thought about when you make content. You know what I mean? You make a video and you're sharing thoughts and ideas and and then when somebody goes, oh, I learned how to do this because your video, or I, you know, I, I never knew you could do that until I saw this video. And I, I always think, man, that's cool. Like, I, it's your, I now feel the pride that a teacher feels when a student comes up to him and says, oh, man, thank you for, you know, I didn't know how to do that until you taught and you were a good teacher. And I'm like, oh, that's how I take that. That's always what comment is, hey, you're a good teacher. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, I want to say th thank you to Litve and Gregory. And also, I'm going to say a couple of thank yous. To Voodoo Fist, Ken. Gregory and Litve, because they just did super chats to say thank you to the channel. I appreciate that as well. Andrew says, hey, Phil, I'm installing some Fender hot noiseless single coils. Does pot size matter? Can you explain? On the noiseless pickups, you're, you can go either way. Remember, potentiometers aren't necessarily uh, important to the physical workings of a pickup. In other words, if you use a 500K, uh, 50K even, which are 25K, especially 25K for active pickups, but 25K, 50K, 250K, do you have to use one specifically for it? No. In fact, you find guitars all the time. In fact, there's, so you know, there are so many famous guitars out there that are done wrong that, you know, and you're like, you can't put a 250K with a humbucker. Well, you know, there's actually, there's guitars that do that. <laughs> there's actually famous guitar players that have, have that mismatched pot to good pickups. But that being said, um, generally speaking, you'll put 250K potentiometers with single coils, 500K potentiometers with humbuckers, and of course, 25K with active pickups. Those are generally the rules. And then of course, there's one meg pots, and then there's 400Ks, right? There's like a weird one, right? There's a couple of weird ones out there, but the main three you see the most. You don't see the one megs as much, but you see those uh, three. Um, noiseless single coils, they're single coils, so they could definitely go 250K. That's fine. But on those particular pickups, if you want more brightness out of them, you could put 500 Ks. When I say more, tiny. It's always tiny. So um, I know this because people wire up the wrong pots all the time in guitars. <laughs> I don't, uh, most pot potentiometers don't read. You know, they don't have a writing on them to say what they are. So you just test them with your multimeter. And I'm just a habit. I test everything when I'm working on a guitar with my multimeter. You know, check to see if I'm getting signal through stuff. Check to see what parts are. Just because you're trying to see what it is someone's done to it before you get to it. And uh, you'd be surprised how many times, you would be surprised, I'm sure, how many times, um, you know, this Les Paul has 250Ks in it and this uh, Fender has 500Ks. And the guitar sounds fine. Like, I... I mention it, but I always get nervous because I'm like, hey, just so you know, your Strat has 500Ks. And, and they're like, oh, should we switch it to 250s? I don't know. What do you think of the way it sounds? I like it. So did I. Leave it. <laughs> so um, 
So uh, that being said, uh, you can do whatever you want. But I would, if I was installing those pickups for you, I would use 250K. That's what I would do. Single coils generally are going to produce more highs. You can mellow those out. Even though those single coils are stacked humbuckers, still going to be in the brighter frequency range to my ears. So strats are, I love strats, but it's all about fighting the trouble <laughs> with strats. Um, soft served, obviously he's never been at McDonald's because soft serve never works at McDonald's. Says, hey, Phil, I have questions. Is it normal to be hoarding gear even though personally you might feel like you're not an incredible guitar player? I think it's funny. <laughs> are you trying to say you have guilt for buying too much crap? Uh, well, welcome to uh, First World Problems. That's uh, everybody feels bad for buying the things they love. In fact, I envy all of those, all of you that are so fortunate to not do that. I constantly feel guilt for things that I buy that I've earned and worked for, and I have no idea why, <laughs> just because. Um, but that's good. Uh, so to answer your question is, uh, sh first of all, I've said this before, I'll say it over and over again. The owning gear to how good you play is not an argument worth any weight whatsoever. Um, it's not like, <laughs> it's not when people go, oh, you should practice more and buy less gear. That's good advice, but you don't have to. <laughs> you, you should, but you don't have to. You can play three chords and have 30 guitars. You know why? Because you worked and you, you bought them and they're yours and have fun. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't care if somebody, I wouldn't care if somebody said, I don't know how to play a single thing on a guitar and I have 30 of them hanging on my walls. I'd be like, you have nice looking walls. <laughs> Can I come over and hang out and I'll play your guitars while you look at your walls, <laughs> right? So, so, um, so don't feel any guilt for that. I will say this. You have acknowledged though, that your skill set is not in my assumption to what you're saying, not where you'd like to be, you should work on that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Try to be as good as guitar player as you, you want to be. Uh, and, and, but as long as you're doing that, I, I don't know what the problem is. Like I said, there's no problem either way, but I would, you know, it's, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to regret practicing and working on being a better guitar player. That's what I'm going to tell you. But also you shouldn't regret having too many guitars. If it's, uh, it's if something you're, you're loaded up with guilt. Well, that's why you can donate things to people. You can help somebody less fortunate. You can give a guitar to a charity or to a, to a kid. You could do something like that. Uh, that stuff helps too. There's things, you know, like I said, but it's your, it's your stuff. You work for it. Enjoy it is what I say. Especially, like I said, if it's not harming anyone. Um, we have Jay and Jay said he's deciding on the Vox AC 30 head to add to his collection and record using the Oxbox. Is the handwired version worth it? I've had both and I couldn't tell you what I noticed about either one, except for the speaker and the handwired is much better. So... I do absolutely, without a question, like the hand-wired version Vox speaker better. So you could just add that speaker to the hand-wired, you know, hand-wired version. The problem, the problem is there's, there, the problem is this where it gets tough. They are slightly different, not by the hand-wired versus PC board stuff. There is a, some design changes, right? There's like functionality, cha functionality changes, I thought. Um, that's the issue, right? I, 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 so it's tough. I will tell you this. I had the hand wired and I don't miss it. Um, I would 
recommend the non-hand wired unless you just really, really want the tan. And But that speaker is is beautiful. Johnny says, I love gear. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. No, uh, it says, I regret letting go, go gear. I let go. Yep, that happens to us. I find myself trying to replace the gear. Meanwhile, I like new gear. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. Well, we talked about that earlier with the pedal thing. It falls in the same thing. You like uh, looking at stuff. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, I think the thing that people don't, uh, maybe if you're trying to relate to me, uh, if you, if that's something you care to do, um, I think sometimes what people miss about me and my personality is the YouTube gig is like a perfect situation for somebody like me. Just like having a store was a perfect situation for someone like me. I have a compulsion to try everything, not own everything. So... Um, in fact, I've stopped cause I've stopped myself cause I was for a while, like complaining, like there's so many guitars in the house because of, you know, this gig. And I don't think everybody was understanding and there, and it sounded like a weird brag, but it wasn't, it was, it was cause of what I'm trying to tell you, which is I love looking forward to every week going, what am I going to try this week? What I get to share with everybody. It's going to be very exciting, but it took me a while, <coughs> excuse me, to realize that it's okay. I had a fear that I've overcome now. I had a fear that you, the viewership of the channel, if I didn't keep the guitar, you wouldn't think I liked it. And what I really come to the conclusion is, is I just want to try everything. I don't necessarily need to own, own everything. So I don't want to try it. I mean, I don't want to own it. I just want to try it. Very few guitars do I want to actually own. I just want to, you know, get them out of my system. <laughs> Play them, check them out, see what's cool about them, share it with you guys and move on. And very few guitars, if you notice now, are sticking around. Uh, they're just going. Um, because of that reason. So that's what's cool about uh, this gig for me. If this is if your person is like me, you probably should make a YouTube channel. Because, yes, it'll make you sane. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. Um. Okay, hold on a second. I am missing. Jose says, third time is the charm. Thoughts on the PRS SE Custom 24. Okay. All right. If you've had one of, if you've had one, of course. Yeah, I've, I've had one and I reviewed them on the channel. Is it worth it? I got mine for $750 new, but I'm importing it. Uh, the weight makes me rethink the purchase. Sure. Well, of course. You know what I mean? Uh, instant gratification, right? Buyers are more sinks in because you don't have it yet. I really like the SEs. I have a SE Custom 24 Semi Hollow now. It's not in the room. I think I took it out of the room earlier today. I did, um, but it was in here earlier. I've referenced it many times. Um, I have a core Custom 24 that Nathan made for me, and then of course that's why I don't I don't have the SE version. I have the 22. Uh, SE version. I like them both. I hear it all the time. It's like this real common thing on the internet. And, 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 and viewers have told this to me too. Like it's both sides. I hear both sides and the, the sides are, um, uh, you know, you don't need the core. The SE is just as good. And the other one is, oh man, the SE is just not nearly as good as the core. And there's some truth to both those statements, obviously. Um, what I will tell you is this. I really like, I like the S2s. Cause again, it's the things I like, cause it's like the core it, it's, it checks a lot of boxes for me, right? It's quality. It's made in the USA, which is something that's important to me if I can do that. And it's like the SEs because I like the carbs on the SEs better than the cores. Um, and there's certain things I like about that in the S2 series. 
Um, that being said, I prefer everything about the SEs and the S2s over the cores, but there's a prestige cool factor of the cores and that's what I'm after. But some players will say that they're physically better because they are. There's a lot more tension put into the guitars. There's a little more quality in those guitars. But I think the PRS SEs are one of those guitars that in time, over time, will continue to gain respect and be their own thing and not just the, hey, you didn't get the core. It's not about that anymore. I think SEs are their own thing on their own merit. I, there's something about that SE22 that I just absolutely love. So there's actually a crazy, funny, weird story about that S2. And I think about doing a video on it. It's been in videos, but I've never done a review of that guitar and why I have it, why I love it. Maybe I should do a video on that. Let me know in the comments. <laughs> I do tell every YouTube channel, let me know in the comments. But I literally, I really want to know in the comments because to me, it's about like, I have to, if I, if you guys say yes, I got to figure out how, how I'm going to get that done. <laughs> okay. So Michael says, uh, just a thanks for doing the Epiphone video. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I love them and I can own more, uh, more than paying for a single Gibson. I'm, am I missing out? Am I missing out? Okay. Wait, I love them and I can own more than paying for a single Gibson. Am I missing out? No, you're not missing out. You know, what's funny is, is I was on a mission and I still am on a mission and I just want to give a shout out to the people who made it happen. You know, I had tried everything to get the 59, 1959 on Epiphone on this channel. I had talked to Epiphone, that failed. I had talked to American Music Supply, that failed. <laughs> um, I went to buy one, that failed. There was none in stock, if you guys remember. I was like, okay, I'll just freaking buy one. They're 850 bucks. And I, and I, and in my head, I was just like, this is going to suck so bad because exactly what happened. That video has got like 55,000 views. It'll, it may see 60, 70,000 views, which is very good and very positive. But from a, if I bought that guitar for 850 and then sold it and then took the money that I made, I wouldn't even broke even, <laughs> right? It would have cost me to make a video. And that video, those videos take two full days of all that editing. That's a lot of chopping and editing to make those, those detailed videos like that. And so Sweetwater literally made it happen. I had talked to Sweetwater and I, I basically told him, I said, look, I've tried to get Epiphones on this channel and there's just no way. And I bought one. If you guys bought, remember, I bought them used and I'm like, I can't just be, you know, buying three, $400 guitars makes sense when the videos make a few hundred dollars. Cause it's very easy to do that. But once you're talking about a thousand dollar guitar, you know, unless that guitar can sell for a thousand dollars, which it, it won't, it won't sell for what it is new. Cause it's not worth what it is new once it's used. Um, it got a little tricky. So first of all, I'm glad you th said you liked it. And second, thank you to Sweetwater for making it happen because they just made that happen. And they obviously were the only ones could make it happen because no one else was interested. Um, and also, uh, no, you're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I like I like the Epiphone quality. Same thing with the SEs, like I said. The Epiphone quality is very good. There's a lot of things, like I said, in that video, I want to make sure I hit all the points. And there were some points I made in the video, if you recall, that I said... These are the reasons why it's better than a Gibson, and these are the reasons why it's not as good as a Gibson. But that's all based on an opinion of if you find these things valuable, then it's better. And if you don't find them valuable, it's worse. So I'm glad you guys like it. I hope you guys like more the videos like this, these really more deep down videos, uh, more than just, you know, specs and information, just getting into the, uh, not so much showing you stuff, but like like that, where I was like, here's where the cuts are on the, on the neck and stuff. Uh, you'll see more of that, more and more of that. It's going to get pretty obnoxious pretty soon, I can tell. Uh, Damien says, for some Topo Chicos, 
Okay. Thanks. For, why do I not know what that is? Now I got to Google that. <laughs> uh, hold on. We got to Google it. Oh, it's a drink that I've never heard of. Look at that. Well, we have to share. Hold on a second. I found it at Fry's. <laughs> it's thinking. Please be patient, everyone. Topo Chico. Twist of lime mineral waters. All right. Is it an alcohol drink? I don't know. It doesn't say. So I will, I will check that out. I didn't know what that is. So thank you for something new uh, to try. Um, says, thanks for the content. I have two Fender Mod Shops, and they are amazing. Flawless, a Jag, and a JM. Awesome. You know, the Mod Shop thing is definitely something I want to try, uh, a Fender Mod Shop. Um, and if I do one, uh, you'll see this week's video. I'm super excited. I know I always say that. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like these hosts on talk shows, I'm super excited about the guests today. They're always super excited about every guest today, but I am actually super excited about this week's video because this week's video is sponsored by a patron, not Patreon, not the viewers, not the members and the viewers who support the channel. A Patreon sponsored this video. It's a, a video that could not happen without somebody sponsoring the, the, the it with basically supplying the product so we can do the video and the shenanigans uh, that in, that are go, that, that ensue. So very excited. I'm going to keep it a little bit clickbaity like that. You'll know the video when you see it because it's going to have a very clickbaitable title that's not clickbait. <laughs> Here's what I will tell you guys this week. If next week you see a video and you go, that's clickbait, it's not. <laughs> that all being said, Grumpy Cat. Oh, Grumpy Cat. Says, can you play smoke on the depressing water? Yes. <laughs> you can, <laughs> Grumpy Cat. Um, okay. Um, uh, Dr. Kyle says, you saved me a lot of money on guitar maintenance. I thank you for that as much. I thank you. I'm trying not to lose my voice again. Cappy C says, hey, Phil, I saw a used Carvin VT50 Nomad head at a local guitar shop for cheap. Any experience with Carvin amps? Um, Carvin amps are a funny thing. Quality, no problem. I've liked all the quality I've, I've found in Carvin amps. Sound-wise, some hit and miss. Some of them like, eh, sound okay, and some of them didn't sound that great. There's a reason why they didn't all take off. But that being said, I don't know about that particular model. Um, most of them are good. Some I didn't care for, um, but uh, I don't also know what they're doing anymore in the market. You used to be able to pick up every carbon amp for a song, and even no matter what you thought of it, it was always worth the money because it was a quality made, made in the USA quality component amplifier for a very inexpensive price. And really, if you just got a good amp, you can put a pedal in front of it. It's gonna, it'll, you know, what I mean, all you need is a good platform. So the VT50, if anyone has one, can give them feedback on that. It's not one I've played recent enough to remember. Eric says, uh, before we bought guitars off the internet, we would talk about some guitars being special. <laughs> yes. Give me a thought here, Eric. He says, uh, now we need, now we just purchase online and hope for the best. Was all that talk just in our head? Love the channel. This fundamentally is a more interesting question than it appears to be. And here's why. So we've seen this in marketing as a whole, 
the guitar the guitar universe is not different than the rest of the world. The idea that if you price something or if you make a a splash with product that it's quality, you know what I mean? Like if you say, you know, make something expensive, if it's expensive, it's good. I want to, I want to tell you a funny uh, uh, observation. There's a ton of brands that I've, uh, I've reviewed over the years because of you guys, tons of them. Um, and a lot of it actually is kind of funny because it doesn't come from any other source than another YouTube channel. So in other words, I'll get an email and it goes like this, Phil, you should check out this guitar brand that I've never heard of. And I go, okay. And they'll go, and then and they'll go, it's very good. <laughs> and they go, I haven't tried one, but I watched a video on it. That guy really liked it. Then I get another email, another email. Usually by the time you get about 50 email, your spider senses are tingling. Go on YouTube and type in that brand and bam, there's a YouTube channel that's got a viral video with 200, 300,000 views and everybody's, it's on their mind, right? And I go, okay, look, I get that. I'm with, I'm like, okay. And, but what's funny now is I hear it all the time that a brand is good. A, a guitar is good. And yet, not only have most of the people talking about it never played it, most everybody hasn't played it or seen it physically. It's just good. It's a good quality brand. This happens a lot. Like all of a sudden, it's just accepted this brand is good. <laughs> it's uh, And it's because it's expensive. Expensive seems to be the thing. And there is the, there is the, opposite of the spectrum if you're super cheap you can also be referred to as very good because you're super cheap for what you are your your product is is a lot of quality for the dollar amount um and i like i said i have been coined as saying we used to live in a try before we buy and now we buy to try environment and that's exactly what eric is talking about is we used to just buy try guitars and then we'd buy them and now we're just buying them online and hoping it works out and doing a little research if if we do that and and that is absolutely true, but it's funny to me how many brands have established themselves as quality brands with almost no real substance in the fact that a lot of people have had hands on time with them. And, um, and I like this, what I can tell you is a positive thing is it's not that common. In other words, it's not that common that I get a brand that everybody's hyped up and I get it and it sucks. It's not, so that's good. Every once in a while something happens and I go, Hmm, that's weird. I didn't think this was that great. And everybody's saying it's great. So that, that does happen, but it's, it's a rarity. It's not the norm, but the, the, the cool part though, and I want to get back to his, the main thing is the internet. We would talk about guitars being special. Now we just purchase guitars and hope for the best. Um, well, first of all, being special, that's what I'm getting at is a lot of time. It's just in your head anyways, and it has nothing to do with physically touching the guitar. I find the only way a guitar can be special for real for me is if I've had it for a while and it's just, I've bonded with it. And then the bonding effect that's happened with it has nothing to do with how quality of the guitar is. It's just all, again, it's all this internal thing of how I feel about it, whether I like it, where it's comfortable to me, uh, why I keep going to it. Um, and there's a ton of reasons for that. And, um, but yeah, the old days of like spending time with a guitar for a few minutes trying to decide if you like it, then getting it for the most part, that's gone. Most everybody's buying guitars online and that's just how it's going to be. And I love it when everybody says, I can never buy a guitar online. I'm like, yes. And you are definitely not the majority because <laughs> that's not how the, that's how it's working. So. Hold on a second. 
We have Music Therapy Laz. What's up, Music Therapy Laz? Laz uh, has got a channel called Music Therapy Laz. You should check it out. He uh, he does. Uh, it's cool. It's like a it's a live show he does with Johnny Bean, and it's nice. Like I said, it's uh, it's harder. It's hard because he does a lot of visuals, so you kind of kind of watch a little bit. I like to play in the background and like you know have reference so I can see it because he's not just talking. But great show. Um, he says I'm giving. What does he say? I'm giving. platelets i knew i'm i know what i'm looking at i'm just you know what it is when you're a guitar channel you're like i don't think that's because sometimes you guys type in stuff and you know your phones change it he is talking about platelets he goes i'm giving platelets at the red cross this sunday so i bought a guitar today world in balance again i got it at first i'm like what is i sometimes i look at a word i'm trying to connect it to what guitar product you're talking about all right so okay so he's giving platelets at the red cross so he bought a guitar you but you didn't tell us what guitar <laughs> good on you but also, we need to know what guitar. Or maybe we got to tune in your channel to find out what guitar. Randy Crook says, I gave a guitar to my best friend because he uh, offered to step and, to step and, and be a brother to me when I lost my brother. You know, th- those, are, those are the moments where you essentially are going to bond with somebody. You know, my mother once said this piece of advice that I, I, I love. My mom had uh, tons of crazy good uh, isms and advice isms meaning she had these sayings for things and one of the things she told me which i found to be so true it's beyond uh insanity how true it becomes is when somebody who's important to you dies you will remember everyone who either was rude mean or horrible to you or amazing to you forever forever and she basically said it a little better than I'm saying it now. But essentially, that was the takeaway. And these are things that my mom would say to me, you know, growing up. And then later, you know what I mean, You through the experience of it, you go, man, absolutely right. So to Randy's point is exactly that. The person who stands up and takes care of you when you lose someone you care about or the person who is a piece of crap to you when you lose someone you care about whether they realize it or not, they are just now in your head forever, like forever. There'll be no exception to that. And so I'm glad you found somebody and I'm glad you hooked them up with a guitar. You know, as you know, it's, I think that's, um, the best thing you do. My wife and I came up with a, um, uh, I don't know if it's a system or a plan, but we came up with a rule as a rule. <laughs> we came up with a rule. My wife and I came up with a rule years ago, uh, with gift giving which is every gift should improve someone's life. I don't know if my wife came up, she probably said something, because it's smart, so she must have came up with it. And I just went along with it and acted like, took some credit. That was half of that idea. But um, when we give gifts now, it has to be something that improves someone's life. And I know you're like, well, every gift, but it's not. You know what I mean? Some gifts are just, you know, somebody wants something and you get it for them. But that's not what it is. It has to improve their life. So like exposing them to to new music, uh, you know what I mean, is a gift uh, of uh, something that improves their life. Um, Literally buying them something they can use every day that they never knew that they needed, something like that. Um, And I think a guitar is one of those things that will improve somebody's life. You can give them a musical instrument, something that will help them benefit their life, improve it, improve it, not benefit it. I should take that away because benefit, everything benefits their life, improve their life in some way that they weren't doing so already. And I find that rule has made gift giving so much easier, not easy, but easier over the years because when you're like, well, you know, what do they want? Do they want to watch? And you're like, now we don't think like that. We think like, what can we get them to improve their life? 
in some way, physically, mentally, you know, whatever it takes, uh, spiritually, all of those things. Uh, Matthew Ward says, trying to find good lessons online. They all seem to be, be much like medical school in the army. Here it is. <laughs> Look at it. Remember it. Next lesson. Where can I, it's good to know that medical school in the army wasn't different than any other school in the army. It was like, your test is on Friday and here's what it's going to cover. <laughs> that's, that's what I remember about the army. Everything was, this is the test. This is what the test is going to be on and just cover that and be ready for the test. So I was always hoping medical school in the army would be a little different than that. But anyways, uh, so apparently medical school in the army was here. Here it is. Look at it. Remember it. Yep. Next lesson. Where can I get lessons that show me what to do in a lesson? Not just tell me. That's a great thing. Uh, Matthew, here's what I will tell you on, on that. Cause it, cause I could just pick a, you know, a online lesson course and go, go with that. But what I will tell you, uh, is that more important than the information is the presentation as you were kind of so leading to in that statement you were telling her. Information to me is easy. Everybody can tell you a pentatonic and can tell you what a chord is. They can tell you the information, but how they tell you, how they give you is important. Um, so you have to, you have to uh, focus on that when you're looking at lessons on, online. Focus on the person, not the information. So for instance, when you look at a lesson program, so much emphasis on the cell of that program is, I'm going to teach you every position on the, on the, on the, on the fretboard. I'm going to teach you all your triads. I'm going to teach you all your chords. I'm going to teach you, you know, all the keys to play in. I'm going to teach you all the modes. It's always about what they're going to teach you. And really what I want you to focus on is them as a person. How do they act? What do they say? Do they talk really fast? Do they talk really slow? How do they present? Because in the term of it is the information will not be as important as the person who's giving it to you because this isn't a sprint. It's a marathon, right? So you want to go into your first lesson knowing, even if it's online, knowing that you enjoy the, the content that that person's creating for the lesson and you enjoy their personality and you enjoy the way that they come across. This will actually matter to you more because... It just, again, you can get, I mean, they can just print this stuff out and you can just read it yourself. So that's what I would tell you to focus on more so than just tell you which one's the best program for you. I've tried some programs and what I will tell you is they all have some successes and failures to them. Um, some of them, I like the layout of the way they did it, but that's it. And some of them, I like the information. In your case, like I said, I would focus on that, especially since it's not a whole lot of effort in an afternoon to go online and pull down five or six different programs and take a look at them. Okay. And a lot of you guys are saying smash the like button. Does anyone seen, <laughs> this is weird. Has anyone seen lately, I go to restaurants maybe cause there's uh, where I'm turn where I live, it's turning into a very hip place. This is uh, where I live. It's, I think some, a lot of you have experienced this if you live somewhere where there's influx, a ton of people moving into where you are. And all of a sudden I'm going to restaurants and I, I've heard it so many times in the last couple months. It just makes me chuckle. They're always like, oh, it's this and smashed potatoes. And I'm like, you mean, and I look and it says on the menu, smashed potatoes instead of mashed. And I'm like, is that, is it mashed? Is that old person thing now? Old people eat mashed potatoes and now you got to be smashed potatoes. So when you said smash like button, that's what I think of. Smashed potatoes. What's, sir, what would you like with your steak? I'd like smashed potatoes. <laughs> Don't mash them. Smash them. Just 
the heat potatoes. <laughs> okay. All right. Remember, I'm here to entertain myself more, apparently. Okay, so uh, Aaron wants to know suggestions and tips on adjusting a vintage Strat truss rod. I have to take the neck off. Loosen and adjust fender. Ventura surprise perk. How hollow. Yeah, I know it sucks. Um, here's the deal. Yeah, here's all, all you want to do. Uh, get a capo. This is the important part is the capo. <clears throat> Uh, and you want to capo about the 12th fret. Um, so you loosen the strings, capo the 12th fret. Loosen the strings makes sense. Sometimes it's nice if you have two capos, you can capo the first fret because otherwise they pop out of the tuners. But if I had a choice, I would actually focus on capoing the 12th fret over the first fret. Um, but again, you got to figure out the way it works for you. If you try the first fret, if that works better than the 12th fret, either way, you got to capo the strings on because you're just trying to keep the strings from falling all off and going crazy. And then loosen them up just to where you get the neck off. You get the neck off, you make an adjustment. It's a calculated adjustment. <laughs> so you got to, unfortunately, you're no different than anybody else who's ever had to work on those stupid, stupid necks, which is, okay, it's got a little relief and I got to tighten the truss rod a little bit. Okay. And you make a, and uh, it's over time. The good news is, you know, the good news is uh, you get a sense of it. Um, what I will tell you is a little goes a long way. So quarter turn. Then put the neck on, tighten the strings up, tune it as generally tuned as possible so you can just play the damn thing. Play it. Make sure you're not getting a gap in your in the neck pocket. Um, play it. And if it plays right, great. If not, repeat the process. It should take you, th seriously, to be to be reasonable expect expectation, should take you three times to adjust the neck on a vintage air instrument to get it right. In other words, I, in fact, if you, you know, so what I'm saying is if you did it and you, you know, you loosen the neck, you tightened it, you put the neck back on, you take it off, you know, obviously three, you repeat that process three times. Don't feel like, man, I'm just suck at this. Phil McKnight would have got it in one shot. Nope. And three shots too. Because even if I thought I could nail it off the first try, I still do. I still follow my own advice, which is a little bit, do it a little bit more, do it. It's just, it's just instinctive, right? Measure twice, cut once. Always, always take it the slow, easy route or slow, methodical route. It will be paid dividends. Um, Ron says, I came for tech tips. I stayed for the philosophy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're great at what you do. What I do is, is hang out with you guys. Uh, so uh, that's great. <laughs> but thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Um, Richard says on the comment of smashed potatoes, he says, I'm in a hurry. Bring me a potato and step on it. Stepped on potatoes. <laughs> it's, it's nice, right? Um, okay. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, handle something else. Let's do uh, one or two more quick questions or just questions in general. And, uh, and let's see what we got. Um, Matt, okay, so I got two questions and they'll tie together. Matt Bradshaw gave a question. And then earlier today, Alan Sounds Music sent me a question as a member. These questions actually align themselves. So it's perfect answer or perfect way to answer both. So Matt's uh, question was, what solid state bass amps do I like? And then Alan Sam's music was, he's miking his Ampeg, uh, bass amp to record. And how do I, what I suggest basically go to a good tone recording it with a microphone. So to answer Alan's question, I don't use a microphone and I don't mic the bass amp. 
Um, I I don't even really use a bass amp to record. I used to use a bass amp line out into the mixer. I'll just plug right into the interface, the mixer. I have a mixer and a regular interface. I just plug direct in with the bass, especially if it's active. I do everything in, uh, when it's recording that's just straight bass track. So you know, there are a bazillion famous albums where the bass tracks were literally just plugged straight into a mixing console, okay? I do have a bass preamp. I have a couple of them, and I'll sometimes use those too if I'm trying to fatten up the sound uh, or something like that if I don't have a mic pre. Um, and um, so that's what I use. I don't mic the bass cabinet. I don't know what benefit you'll get from it. It's not like micing up a guitar where you're, the, the speaker is part of the tone. That's one of the things that I think is different than bass players. Notice how bass players don't obsess over speakers. I mean, obviously, it's like, you know, eminence, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not something that bass players obsess over as much as guitar players. It's not something that's directly so much connected to their sound because EQ is such a prominent thing in the bass amp. In other words, it's just as a sound-shaping tool, you can just adjust your sound with EQ. Where guitar amps, I've said before many times, using the EQ too much heavy-handed on an amp changes a lot of the dynamics of what an amp is doing. Um, in other words, because sometimes EQ is attached to gain on an amp. It's a basic way to say it, but that's important. Um, so, Alan, that's the way uh, I would say that. Um, to the other question about what bass amp I would, uh, solid state bass amp I would use, um, I personally think at this point now, they're, if you just need one, they're so good. Any of the Rumble series stuff is killer. The new Ampeg stuff that's affordable, the Rocket Bass series is affordable. Fantastic. I don't even know if you can buy bad bass amps anymore. The last few I've, I've just plugged into are all fantastic. For $200, I, you can't, can't go wrong. They make great stuff. It's not, a, it's not as hard. You know, I wish the guitar technology could get as easy and as cheap as how the bass technology has. And it's just because bass is just a, it's a different animal. And like I said, it, it would, it, it's not as easy to just plug your guitar straight into a mixer and get a great sound. You can, but it's not as easy. Yeah, see, Blade's saying speakers and a guitar amp are way more important than people realize. Absolutely, which is why IRs... Think about this. Impulse responses have changed pretty much the guitar world in every level because of that reason. They're the first acknowledgement in the modeling technology that the speaker is such an important role in that sound landscape. That's where literally they've come to play. Um, to me, uh, you know, to me... I'm trying not to give away the video I'm working on. To me, the the million dollar question is, if you take old technology that is now outdated and not very good, but add new IR and impu well, impulse response microphone and room technology to that, is that enough? Because I think that technology, if you take the, and I'm just giving Glenn Fricker the credit because he did the video, but uh, you know, I'm sure it's an age-old question. If you take the uh, the argument that the speaker is a huge part of tone and it should get a lot of attention, I will now also take that to the digital realm and say, then the impulse response has become a very huge part of the change in the digital landscape for tone. Even myself, um, at first when impulse responses started, I, ours, I'm, like some of you watching now are like, I don't know what that is. That's how it was one day too. I was like, yeah, it's whatever. It's an impulse response. It's, they're just EQs, man. They're pre-programmed EQs. That's what I used to say, because uh, they are. <laughs> but here's the thing. Man, it is massive what you can do with those and getting a good sound digitally. It's, it's, in fact, I think it's everything. Um, it literally changed everything for me in the way that I record, the way I think, the way I make music, the way I do everything now. 
Um, impulse responses are probably the most important thing that's ever happened. Uh, one of the most ex- important pieces of gear that I've ever experienced in my gear journeys for making music. And then we'll finish with Fast Teddy's Super Chat, who says, Hey, Phil, how about giving 12-string guitars some love? Here's my question. Why is the Rickenbacker, backer, Rickenbacker, that's the correct way to say it, according to them, 12-string strung differently than all others? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where it is, but I don't know why. I never thought about it. It's... That's an interesting thing. I'm sure we'll, I'll find out. I'm sure I can find out for you. I will find out and uh, answer that because that's a great question. It, you know, I was aware of it. I just never thought about it. it. Never really occurred to me. Like, I just, you know, that's the way they did it. Some some probably follow them, but most don't. I think if I recall, like 8-string and 12-string bass guitars, I think they are opposite than guitars too in the way it's strung. I think they're more like the Rick and Backers. I don't know. I don't remember. I used to play an eight-string bass for a short time when I thought I'd be as cool as Doug Pennick from King's X, and then I realized I'm not. <laughs> By the way, I kind of knew I wasn't going into it, but I had a hope. <sighs> All right. On that note, I'm going to let you guys go. You guys, thank you so much for another great episode. Thank you so much for all the support you get in the channel. I've noticed the episodes, not only on the podcast, have gotten huge, but also on the, I feel like on the YouTube channel, have gotten a lot bigger than normal. And, uh, and uh, that's probably why the subscriber rate's up to 330,000 and uh, all, the, all the things that are happening that's positive. I appreciate that. Like I said, we'll call this. We'll, um, I don't plan to do anything for subscriber counts, not anytime soon, you know, for hitting tiers. But I think I want to do something cool for 100 million views. And that's like I said, that's summertime into summer. That's when I projected to hit that number. Like to do something cool. I think I have a crazy cool idea, but I'd also like to hear your guys' suggestions. On that note, thank you guys so much for your time. Till next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, know your gear.